I invite you to check out my website, karagoodwin.com. I'm adding more resources all the time to assist you in your meditation journey. Sign up right on the homepage to receive a free 10-minute guided meditation that will fill you with light and peace and give your nervous system a reset. You can also find powerful offerings to help you start or amplify your existing meditation practice, including the Meditation Immersion Program to get a solid foundation to your meditation and the Healing Hearth Ongoing Program for regular online meditations and guidance. Thank you so much for your support and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin. And I'm so excited today to have a special guest, Adam Apollo. Adam has presented at the White House, the United Nations, and at international conferences and festivals. He's a wealth of information on advanced physics, future technology, human spirituality, and how all of these things converge. And he has many, many credits to his his name, a mind-blowing list of initiatives and projects that cover a huge range of passions. But in a quick summary, he's dedicated to achieving a sustainable and thriving interplanetary culture. So welcome, Adam. What a joy to have you here. Thank you so much, Kara. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. So I, I just wanted to start by expressing a little bit about the synchronicities that brought us here today because um, it went from just kind of seeing you on on TV, really, and um, to all these synchronicities that built up to where it was like, okay, I, I would love to have a chat with him on the, on the podcast. Um, it started with, I was just having a conversation. A friend of mine asked me something about the chakras. Something kept coming up with her with the throat. And she didn't really, she's like, can you just baseline tell me about the chakras? So Mm. I called her and I found myself talking to her about this chakra activation that I had had a few weeks before. And even as I'm talking about it with her, I'm like, why am I, why am I telling her this? Like, this is like a tangent, you know, this isn't what she asked. It's probably too like much in the, the other direction that I'm going to lose her. Um, But I was explaining this, like where my chakras, I'd had these whole bands, you know, like a whole chakra band that was activating kind of one at a time. And as that happened, I was just getting this knowledge of, of like how different elements are attached to different chakras and how like everything in the universe is in the chakras and we can access it all through this. Mm -hmm. So I, again, I find myself like, what am I doing? Why am I telling her this? So then I watch uh, like two or three hours later. I mean, literally this was just the same day, (laughs) the same day, like the same evening. Yeah. Um, I randomly pick an interview with Ed to watch and Mm. um, you know, Ruben's Mm. been on the podcast a couple of times. I love Mm. interview with Ed. I, I didn't know your name at the time. I just was drawn to this, you know, one, you know, I was like, oh, I'll check out this Adam Apollo character. So I turn it on. I'm really enjoying it. And lo and behold, you start talking about uh, your, uh, you talk about chakra activations and how you had experienced them very organically and how you could connect with, you could understand that everything in the universe was in your chakras. And basically everything I had just told her that I have not heard anybody else talk about. (laughs) Wow. 
Uh, you so start beautiful. talking about just a couple of hours later. So I was like mm. mind blown. And I shared that with uh, my community and uh, one of my, somebody, a friend of mine in this community mm-hmm. basically was talking about how recently she had been inspired to watch your episode again on interview with mm. Ed. And we had never talked about this before, but she had also been drawn to it. Mm. Um, to watch it a second time. And then she had a really powerful dream with you where she Mm. went through this portal and it was unlike anything she'd ever experienced before. And as she's telling me this, I'm like, oh my God, I dreamt about him. Like I totally had forgotten that I'd had some sort of dream with you Mm. and I couldn't remember, I couldn't catch any of the details, but I told, when she said that, I was like, yes, last night I dreamt about him. Wow. And then this same person runs into you at a conference completely unexpectedly, like the next week or Mm -hmm. like so synchronistic with the timing. It was so Mm -hmm. quick. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I have got to reach out. And, um, so, and I, I I think I have Mm -hmm. dreamt about you since then to some kind Mm -hmm. of activating, um, dream as well. So Mm -hmm. anyway, Super fascinating from my perspective. Thank you so much for whatever you're doing in the ether to help mm. all of us. That's an honor. So beautiful. Thank so, you, Kara. Well, as I mentioned, there are a lot of ways, you know, you have so many, so many topics that you're an expert on and so many ways that we could take this interview. Um, you have knowledge on a wide array of topics from geometries to sound frequencies, to galactic relations, to spiritual awakening, to advanced physics, and more. So preparing for this episode, I was mentioning before we recorded, it was like being a kid in a candy store, like, oh my God, (laughs) I can ask him anything. (laughs) Um, I think that a great place for us to start for the purposes of this podcast would be your spiritual awakening story. Uh, I think it'll really appeal to listeners. So if you don't mind... Mm -hmm. Um, let's start with that. And I'll just reference again, the interview with Ed, you have a two part series that Mm -hmm. goes into a lot of detail around this, which is really fascinating. So people can find that too on Gaia and Vimeo. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've done way too much talking, please, Adam, floor is yours. (laughs) I've enjoyed every moment of it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was really, uh, it was really a beautiful and magic moment, um, sitting in Gaia, uh, essentially there to check out a couple of my friends who are speakers there, Caroline Corey in particular, and uh, Marianne Williamson was there that day. It's a really beautiful and potent day of presentations at Gaia. And um, your friend, uh, is it Lucia or Lucia? Lucia. It's Lucia. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. She, I look over at her and she looks at me and she's just like, I just had a dream about you. And, um, (laughs) it was, it was a beautiful moment because I, I felt like I was kind of rolling ninja. Like I I wasn't a speaker. I was just kind of hanging out and, um, but she caught me and, uh, just a really beautiful heart and beautiful being. And I'll just say as a, a primer that I, um, have been traversing the astral so much throughout my life that I, developed some different mechanisms for essentially um, enabling myself to do more work than I'm always conscious of in the moment, like that I can 
do multiple things in multiple places and while I'm asleep and while I'm doing other stuff and lots and lots of work in the dream world. Uh, but then I don't always have to remember it all at the same time or recall all of it or be present with all of it. And a lot of times that that information and that experience will catch back up with me and I'll have a dream specifically where that event occurs or, um, you know, essentially have the memory of the experience that I, I didn't necessarily have concurrently to the moment that it was happening, so to speak. Isn't so that that's been a really fascinating journey for me to play with, um, yeah. you know, with the, the layers of the self. Right. Um, and, you know, to, to take that back to really the beginning, um, I often start with the story of essentially discovering that I have a human energy body. And it wasn't really the beginning because I also went through some tragedy in my life and in my family. My mom dies in a car accident. Um, my dad's, you know, heart and life is shattered. My stepbrothers, you know, go into deep trauma. Um, and I started really questioning everything. And that's really where it began because I stopped taking information for granted. I stopped taking truth for granted. And I, I always had felt in school like I wasn't getting the whole picture. But after that experience, I really started asking the hard questions. And that led to uh, being 15 years old. And I had an older friend, a couple years older than me. And he had a car, you know, and we'd go hang out and play hacky sack and uh, philosophize. And we had conversations about certain things like, how is it possible you could feel it when someone's looking at you from across the room? How is it possible that you could feel your ears burning if somebody's talking about you? Like, these are common statements that we have as a culture collectively. And yet there is no mechanism for that. There's no science behind it. There's nothing, you know, and then how does all this, you know, special martial arts stuff that's in all these legends happen? And how is it possible that this guy in this, you know, you know, video essentially like cooks a steak with his hand, you know, we had all of these reference points and essentially we did a bunch of experiments and those led to this discovery of this vibratory field that I experienced the first time between my hands by putting my fingertips together like this and really slowly separating them. And I was just focusing on the space between them. And then suddenly I could see it. I could see this fluid streaming between my fingertips and I could wiggle it and I could see the sparks in the field and feel the pressure on my fingertips and the tingles. And suddenly something inside of me just popped open. And it was like, oh my God, it, it was as if, you know, I joke about like, it was like I finding the force, you know, mm -hmm. discovering the force is real, right? Because yeah. Um, yeah, I was a Star Wars fan and yeah, but <laughs> like it, this tangible field of vibratory force around my body, like it, the more I tested it, the more I played with it, the more applicable I found it was to anything. Like I could close my eyes and locate an object in the room based on tingles in my hand. I could blindfold myself and do martial arts with my homie. And we could get faster and faster and faster just by going off of 
the feeling of the field. And, and I started to essentially, it was as if this gateway opened and I unlocked this, as I call it, Akashic library within my being that I had been kind of stashing books in, in my consciousness for many, 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 many lifetimes. And I didn't know that's what it was for, for years. It took probably a couple of years until I was about 18 before I started actually having such intense visceral past life experiences that I knew for certain that that's what was really going on. Um, but initially my journey was just as you described, it was like getting in touch with this field of energy started to open up and awaken these different planes inside of my body. And each of those planes I became aware was a chakra. And, you know, I had Barbara Ann Brennan's book at some point, um, Light Emerging, and she's validating as a NASA astrophysicist that the human energy field is in all of these cultures around the world. And as I experienced each of these chakric fields awakening, I experienced them not as one thing not like as this is the will chakra, you know, or like this is the body chakra or something like that. I realized that each one is actually a dynamic spectral interface, an energetic elemental interface with reality. And so the root chakra is actually about fire, air, earth, water, and spirit, just as the ancients have said, just as the medicine wheel shows us, just as, you know, all of these cultures express but what does that actually mean? It means that our experience of thermodynamics and heat and all of that fire, you know, or aerodynamics, how air flows, how breath moves, how all of these things happen, respiration to the sort of hydrodynamics of water in our body and water around us and the water cycle and et cetera, to the geodynamics of the earth down to the biological geostructures of our bones and our flesh and our skin. Like this is actually the way matter constructs itself in the physical world. This is not just like an idea or like an energetic, this is physics, right? And and I began as I opened up each chakra to realize there's a different spectrum at each layer. And this led to essentially me having this vision one day where I was sitting on a couch with my buddy and they were playing Tekken, two of my friends, and I'm listening and, you know, Jimmy Buffett comes on with Cheeseburger in Paradise, uh, you know, on the CD player and I'm watching them play. And all of a sudden, I just kind of like go into a daydream, it seems like, but I, I really phase out and suddenly I'm in this vision. And I essentially have a vision where I see how the eye is part of a body, is part of the land, is part of the earth, is part of the earth moon system, is part of the solar system, is part of the galaxy, is part of the galactic cluster, is part of the universe, and that the universe is actually part of an energetic fractal holographic thread that's weaving the structure of space-time itself at the smallest levels, forming protons, forming atoms, forming DNA, forming cells in our body, forming the eye that we perceive it through. 
and that the biggest things in the universe information wise are actually stored in the smallest spaces inside of our body. And I spent years beginning to unpack this. And what I realized is that the whole universe is this beautiful fractal holographic, you know, spectral system of music. It's, 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 you know, it's the rainbow over and over and over again, essentially. And it's all interconnected. And every time you transcend, you're into a new octave that mirrors lower octaves. You never, it's not like, you know, you just ever end one thing and enter another. You, you die and you're reborn. You go through another pathway. You, you choose a new adventure. And, um, and that's, you know, that's the heart of my spiritual awakening. And my journey has been coming to understand this beautiful expression of divine perfection that it is to be a conscious being living in the universe. That's amazing. So I think that you may be the first and only person to have Cheeseburger in Paradise as your backing track for spiritual <laughs> yeah. awakening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Seriously. I know. Jimmy Buffett, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you for taking us through all that. That's it's amazing. And I know I again, I'll just reinforce for people to please do check out that interview with Ed, because, you know, you do Mm -hmm. start like as you start going into university, you have all these past lives. Mm-hmm. with, you know, this, uh, soul mate that, uh, mm-hmm. it's just this amazing, um, weaving of these yeah. in this unpacking of just event after event where it just gets more and more mysterious mm-hmm. and, um, and mm-hmm. it's so expansive to hear these things and mm-hmm. to be able to experience them through you. So thank you. And really also beautiful. if, if someone is, like really intrigued by the idea of this universal harmonic matrix. Um, I have a a different presentation from actually it's from contact in the desert, um, which occurred right before I did those interviews with Ruben because he came and actually did the filming for this um, presentation that I did. And that's on YouTube. And you just go to search for a unified harmonic matrix, Adam Apollo. Um, and you can find it or unified matrix, Adam Apollo, you, you'll find it if you just go to my channel. Um, okay. But there's an old, old one, which was like done a long, long time ago. Um, but I try to direct people to the new one. The old one still shows up because it's got like a lot of views. Um, so, but the new one has my sigil on it and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty good deep dive into the physics and the mechanics and the nature of this uh, formula that I essentially have been carrying around for however many lifetimes, um, and dispersing on planets and (laughs) doing my best to help onboard people to this understanding. Um, so yeah, please, please check that out if you're interested. Yeah. I'll put that link in the show notes for sure to make it easy for people to find it. Thank you. So, okay. I want to talk about quantum entanglement. Okay. And so I'm going to ask go. you to speculate because um, I I was listening to something that you were, uh, some presentation you were giving, and now I can't remember which one it was, mm. um, but you started talking about quantum entanglement and it got me thinking about awakening mm. and spiritual awakening, of course. And so yeah. in some of the transcendental experiences that I've had or like the multidimensional um 
traveling that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen geometries as the underlying structure with mm-hmm. inner sight, but like that geometries are what is kind of contained within everything. And, and, you know, if we could peel back the layer of matter, you know, we can see geometry and mm-hmm. that fractalization, as you talk about, like, I've kind of seen how they're like, uh, they can be kind of like bundled together and fractalized and, mm-hmm. you know, they all have, they can have like pairs. Like if you were to see these fractals and take separate fractals out, you could pair them up. Yeah. Um, and when I heard you talking, I was like, I wonder if the higher self uses geometries and quantum entanglement to activate us, yeah. um, like to awaken us. So I don't know if you've run across any theories like this or if you've played with thoughts like this. Maybe first, um, if you can just shed some light on quantum entanglement, to clarify yeah. that in case anybody wants to brush up on their physics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we hit that. Absolutely. Any thoughts you have? Yeah, well, you've <laughs> you've picked a perfect topic because it's one of my favorite things to talk about, actually. And um, I've done extensive work in in unified physics around entanglement and its correlations with human phenomenology and the experiences that we have and that we go through. Um, and so, just to lay a little foundation, uh, you know the the original sort of uh, dynamics of the study of entanglement um, emerged in the early 1900s. Einstein called it, you know, spooky action at a distance. Um, And essentially this idea is that uh, occurs from a particular experiment where you take a light beam and you split it into two and you measure the charge of the photons traveling through a receptor and what they discovered is that if you change the charge, you put it through a, a essentially a charge flipping gateway is the best way I could describe it in layman's terms. You flip the charge on one of those photon beams, and it turns out that the other beam will also flip automatically, mm-hmm. meaning that somehow, even though they're now separate and they're in two different spots, change on one can automatically change the other. And this is not just like a, you know, little tiny side experiment. This has literally evolved to what they call quantum teleportation, which is essentially where you have a whole field of information, you know, whether that's in light information. And in some cases, what they've been doing is actually molecules and atoms storing a particular level of information. And then essentially, uh, transmitting through through shared geometric you could say it's like a shared harmonic of geometry and frequency in two different locations and having that information move to the new location instantaneously and the chinese have done this um, over vast distances to satellites and back for example Um, and they've they've pushed the sort of quantum teleportation uh, edge pretty far but it's it's still uh, in mainstream physics and mainstream science. It's still one of the most odd and kind of misunderstood areas of physics because it, the idea is still really like it doesn't have any classical basis. You know, just like a lot of quantum mechanics, you know, people just think, oh, like quantum means it's like everywhere all the time. And that's not what quantum means at all. Quantum means to count. 
It means it's accountable. It means it's discreet. You can actually like measure it, right? has nothing to do with these entanglement effects. Like that's, that's a different thing. So if you want to talk about things in terms of their super positioning or their connectivity, you know, across space time, what you're actually talking about is entanglement, not quantum mechanics. Um, Although entanglement is a part of quantum mechanics and so on and so forth, but it's one of the, the hardest ones to kind of pin down. And so, you know, part of the work that I've done in unified physics is about looking at the fact that space-time itself is this geometric holographic lattice. In, in other words, you know, we, we see and we've had the experience of something like a hologram. Most of us have seen a hologram. And if you don't know how that works, essentially what you're doing is you're taking two laser light beams and or one laser light beam essentially and you're splitting it into two and then you're reflecting it down onto a three-dimensional object and then the light beam bounces back and when it's recombined what you have is basically like an interference pattern like a weave and half of that pattern is one side of the object and half the pattern is the other side of the object and then when you bounce that beam that's got that interference pattern off of a mirror you can essentially recreate this apparently three-dimensional looking object that's got, you know, all the information from both sides. But what's really interesting is that it doesn't matter how big the mirror is that you reflect it off of. If you cut the mirror in half, you still get the whole object. If you make the mirror an itty bitty tiny little piece, you still get the whole object. It's just not very visible because there's not much light there, right? So it's, you, you have less, uh, let's say, um, refinement of that information that's being displayed or uh, Mm -hmm. lower resolution, right? Mm -hmm. But the whole object is still there. And, And this actually gets really interesting because this same idea applies to black holes and black hole science and, you know, big, large scale astrophysical thermodynamics in the study of giant galactic black holes and the information theory around them, essentially what it breaks down to is what we found is that essentially a quarter of the surface area of any event horizon should contain in that surface area, the information of the entire object, which is just like a really fascinating thing. I mean, that gets into like all kinds of stuff. Cause you're like, wait, the surface contains all the, the information of what's inside of it. How can that be? And not only the surface, but a quarter of the surface, like, you know, one fourth of the surface. And then, so then the real question is, well, what is that geometry? What is the quarter of the surface? How does that all work? Well, it turns out that a quarter of the surface area of any sphere is also the exact area of the equator. If you take the plane in the equator, that's exactly one quarter of the surface area of a whole sphere not a coincidence. Right. Mm. And, and it's also, uh, you know, it just starts to unfold more and more as we look at the universe, because we realize that what are, what are protons made of? What are electrons? If we start to ask these questions and we dig deeper and deeper, and then we get to the real question, which is what is empty space? And is there even such a thing as empty space? 
And what begins to emerge is that there is no empty space. And scientists had uh, glimpses of this for a long time because they call it the vacuum catastrophe, essentially, which is like the discovery that there is a essentially gargantuan amount of energy in what we call empty space. And how could that be? <laughs> well, it is because space-time itself is a lattice of light. And that light lattice has energy and information. And it's that light lattice, that geometric light lattice that's curving itself into the spheres that we call protons. And that curvature is essentially this massive gravitational field because Einstein taught us that curvature in space-time is the same thing as gravity, right? And so protons are these super powerful little gravitational bundles of space-time. And in fact, if they weren't spinning so fast, they would be extremely heavy. And, you know, the mass of a single proton is gargantuan, but they happen to be spinning at the speed of light at their horizon, like at the equator, they're spinning at the speed of light. So they're literally shearing space-time right there at that speed of light unit. And so these little things, all the protons all around us, making up all these atoms, making up your whole body are essentially like little spaceships. They're anti-gravity. They are, in fact, the best anti-gravity that we know because they literally can float around as if they have almost no mass, even though they have gargantuan mass energy, right? Baked into them. Mm -hmm. And that's just freaking cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> just That's just freaking cool. And the, the protons themselves have geometry. And this geometry is essentially what Buckminster Fuller unpacked. And what I've discovered in my work, and I do a course on this in the Resonance Academy, is that this structure is a geodesic. It's, it's basically like when you're in a dome, what you're seeing is actually the same pattern of how light organizes itself in a weave when it's forming a sphere, when it's forming one of these, you know, protons. And uh, not with straight lines necessarily and angles like that, but but all of the spheres of this these these fundamental Planck scale fluctuations of light are nested in with each other in exactly the arrangement that you see all of the intersections of the lines and the bars in the ceiling of the dome, right? And this pattern has a very particular property. And that property is that at the top and at the bottom, there's always a pentagonal structure, a five-pointed star, right? Root chakra, right? And then you have five five-pointed intersections around the upper hemisphere of the dome, and then five around the lower hemisphere of the dome and one on the bottom. So there's 12, and they make 12 vector equilibrium. And each one of those pentagonal pipelines, as I dug into it and I started looking at the geometric structure of this, you know, atomic field, and I've done renderings of it all the way down, like into the actual core matrix of how each of the pentagonal points go into the core. Um, essentially, what that each of those pipelines looks like geometrically matches the geometric foundation for the structure of DNA. 
Oh, really? So protons are the original fractal geometry for information storage. And DNA is the larger fractal of what's going on in each of the protons. So basically all the protons in the universe are storing information, but it gets deeper. <laughs> and I'll go one more layer here and then I'll pass it back to you because I know I could go on, the, on this for a while. Um, essentially, it turns out that if you count the number of oscillators, oscillations inside of one proton, um, essentially the number of oscillations, which is 10 to the 60th inside of the volume of the proton actually equals the number of Planck seconds that have existed in the lifetime of the entire universe within one order of magnitude. Meaning that literally there's one data point oscillator, you could think of it as a one and zero kind of like data storage unit, but more complex than one and zero full spectrum, you know, like a quantum data storage for every moment the universe has existed. And every proton is storing every moment of the entire universe's existence. Okay, that's mind blowing for sure. <laughs> so then how does that equate to the DNA? Like, do you, because I know that that's also kind of our, our connection device to like higher realms and things like that is, is the DNA and, yeah. or that's, that's some theories. Yes. Um, well, you're, I, the way that I look at it is that your DNA is not just an information storage structure from your ancestral lineage. It also carries with it sort of the Akashic information structure of the universe and more importantly, it's, it's actually storing your soul's experience line through time. So what you're bringing in your entire soul stream when you incarnate and that soul stream is going to adapt your DNA to match, you know, turning on and off certain genes epigenetically and otherwise to bring through who you are. And that's why some kids look very different from their parents. It's not a fluke. It's that they, their bodies are adapting to the particular gene codes that are traveling with them as a being. Mm -hmm. And of course, to wrap all of this back to entanglement, essentially, the idea is that all these protons all have geometric shared information with each other because they've been through similar moments in the universal timeline. And space-time itself, the fabric of space between all of the matter, between all the protons, literally acts like wormhole pipelines. The fabric itself, you could think of each thread in the fabric of space is made of a wave of light that essentially can transmit information faster than light because it is light. It's at light speed, so no time is passing, meaning that anytime there's a shared geometric pattern and a shared vibrational harmonic within that pattern, then those fields have quantum coherence. That means they are operating as if they are existing in the same place at the same time. So this opens up exactly you know, where you're going, which is like, how is it that we dream of each other? How is it that we connect? How is it we see each other? Well, because when we enter into shared information fields, those information fields exist 
as if they are one space that we're entering from two different locations. That one space is essentially on the astral plane. And that astral plane is a way to kind of organize all of these shared spaces of harmonic information without having to have the same kind of linear dimensionality that we have on the physical plane. Right. Wow. There's a lot of great stuff there. Thank you. There's a lot to, uh, to consider with that. That's amazing. (laughs) So if we, I know I want to be conscious of time and hopefully we'll have, I know I went off a long time on that. No, no, not at all. Um, (laughs) But if if we stay on this geometric path Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on the claims of fallen geometries, because there are some spiritual teachers who talk about compromised geometries, such as the flower of life, the tree of life, et cetera. And they tell their followers to use other geometries. (sighs) And I don't know, like, do you think these are valid claims or misunderstandings or direct deceptions or like how, how much can people entrap themselves with geometry one way or the other, whether it's the flower of death or with, an altered geometry that's given to them. I'm so glad you asked about this. Um, You know, human trauma is a fascinating thing. Uh, And I'll say that in regards to some of this kind of stuff, perhaps, perhaps it's as innocent and as, as, as light as, you know, coming from, some fear based experience or trauma or like a really bad trip or, you know, who knows. Um, and also, you know, I'm familiar enough with these kinds of architectures of information, um, because I've dealt with them in the space of extraterrestrial and UFO phenomena for a long time. I've been tracking disinformation campaigns for a very, very long time. Um, when I met Steven Greer in 2001, he said that, you know, 90% of all information about extraterrestrials and UFOs is essentially disinformation campaigns designed to make people afraid or believe a certain thing about them because there's been a desire to control that information for a very long time, uh, to avert panic, to steer the public's perception, to make anybody who talked about it seem crazy so that it would stay kind of behind the curtain. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, mechanisms and agendas essentially baked into that. When I see something like this whole idea of the, the, the Christ spiral, so to speak, and the writings about the flower of life is actually the flower of death, right? As you start to actually pick it apart, what you realize is that essentially what they're saying is an age old you know, deeply agenda-based, deeply divisive uh, phenomena. The Christian church used it a ton. And the idea is that this is the good way, and this is the one true way to enlightenment, the one true path to immortality or God or source or whatever it is. And other paths are evil. Other paths are bad. This is bad. If you do this, you're dead, right? Like you're going to die. Well, newsflash, I don't give a shit how much you focus on the Christ spiral. You are going to die. (laughs) Life and death is part of the cycle of time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like things live and things die. 
But just because your cellular matrix and the physical vehicle that you're inhabiting and co-creating with dies doesn't mean you end. Your being continues to exist. You still will be conscious. You will still continue to exist. Now, that's just the first kind of like sliver on this. The next piece that I'll address is that literally the flower of life geometry is what makes the atomic structures that we interact with all the time, the oxygen you're breathing. Thanks flower of life. You know, the nitrogen, the cellular, the carbon, all of these molecular structures are based on the flower of life. And it turns out that the fabric of space time itself, because it's trying to maintain geometric equilibrium, it's built out of a tetrahedral like format and that tetrahedral format, which enables this balance of massive amount of energy to stay in beautiful balance with itself, um, exists. And when you look at that at a plane and any plane level, it is the flower of life. And, and yet, you know, it's not the only thing it is. This flower of life lattice also curves because of gravity, because of mass, because space-time curvature makes it possible for all things and all matter and all mass to exist. And guess what geometry that curvature happens around? The pentagram, the pentagon. Ooh. Now, if we look back in history a little bit, yeah. what do we see there? We see this massive campaign of the Roman Empire rolling across Europe, trying to debase the spiritualities of the indigenous traditions of Europe and mm -hmm. claim that their geometry, this pentagon, pentagram, that was used in sacred ceremony to commune with the divine inside of nature, to call the rain, to evoke, essentially to do magic, which is really just like an advanced form of prayer, right? And they use this powerfully, right, to do change and to protect themselves and to bring the rain and to keep the land healthy and to stay in balance with life. They knew the geometry that life is generated through, right? And yet through the Roman empire and, you know, the Christian church, essentially they made this perceived to be so evil, so dark that to it's this right. day, yeah. we still think of pentagrams sometimes as, oh, that's the mark of the devil, isn't it? But did you know that the symbol of the devil, the guy with the horns is actually pan who is the fertility God for the indigenous European traditions, right? We talk a lot about recompensating and healing the wounds with the indigenous peoples of North America a lot, right? Like how do we heal with our indigenous peoples of this land and how do we honor their traditions and how do we fix that? We have not even dealt with the trauma of the way that our own traditions as, as me, like I'm a white guy, I'm an Irish and I, you know, I'm told to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick's Day is the day that celebrates Christianity wiping out the indigenous tradition of Ireland. Oh, wow. Right. And so I'm like, wait a second, we have to deal with this healing in ourselves too. It's not, it's not a one or other thing. Right. And I've worked with indigenous elders and youth in North America for a long time. And I did prayer runs for world peace and I did all this work and I learn these traditions. I reconnected with my Lakota self from past lives. I've done those deep dives and I had to come to terms with the reality that I didn't even know what my own ancestry was about. 
I didn't even know who the Irish actually are. You try to find out what's Irish, it's four-leaf clovers, leprechauns, and Guinness beer. Give me a break. (laughs) Like, what happened to the root? The roots are actually back to the wisdom of the Tuatha de Danan, sword and chalice, staff and stone, the four elements you know, the wisdom traditions of the land and what the land teaches us. And it's not just land wisdom, it's also star wisdom. So I'll just say, you know, caution anytime you ever hear somebody say, like, this is the only right path and what you have believed is evil or dark or bad. Because when you create that kind of divisive system, you're essentially trying to separate people and make one people think the other people are bad. And that is that is the heart of the disinformation campaigns that have done the most damage on this planet. And the most recent ones that we've seen were the Flat Earth campaign. That was a massive, destructive, divisive plan that played out within the you know progressive community to basically bait anyone who did not have enough critical thinking skills to pick apart the nature of how perception works or didn't have the scientific basis and isolate them. And another one that I've been tracking over the years, which, you know, is a real tricky one for a lot of people to look at, but QAnon. QAnon is another massive disinformation campaign, which suddenly got funded out of the blue when Trump got into office the first time. All of a sudden they had all this funding. And when you start looking at the campaigns, you can look over and over and over again at the claims and the stories that they've told and they haven't come true, but they created an emotional momentum that's like, well, this is the only true way. And if you don't believe this, then you're crazy. And I did a video literally questioning just a few of the premises that they were laying out. And, you know, I posted it on YouTube one night and by the next morning I had over 500 hate comments coming at me, telling me that I was cannibalizing my own audience and blah, blah, blah. Like the level of fear and divisiveness that I experienced around that uh, made me extraordinarily concerned. And I'm a scientist, you know, I'm someone who likes to stay out of the political mess and observe actions, observe people's choices. I'm not like, you don't wave a red flag or a blue flag and get on the team and try to crush the opponent. Like it's about understanding our differences and how we can actually create a better world. Yeah. So well said. And I I've observed the same thing where it's, um, there's been, there've been multiple ways that this divisiveness has tried to come in and has been successful um, you know, that are happening in the mainstream and then are happening in kind of the alternative. Because when we talk about like those spiritual leaders who use geometries, I mean, I've seen it in, in many different, you know, it's not just like one group that's doing that there. It's being echoed through many places and it, it very much has, so that would not be mainstream really, you know, it's kind of alternative, um, spirituality, um, but that can make, there's something about that with some people who, where that can make it more enticing because they don't trust the mainstream. So the same thing with QAnon, 
you know, where it's like, well, it's not okay. Now I understand that I can't trust mainstream. So this is not mainstream. So it must be right. And then we just try to um, fit it into our (laughs) belief system and, and alter things to, to, to do that. But we don't recognize that we're making, you know, in both ways, we don't recognize that the division because it, it gets so like us versus them. It's essentially, you know, it's a psychological hook. It's a manipulation play. And, and there's been studies around this for a very, very long time. Um, and if you, if you've looked into these kinds of how brainwashing and psychological manipulation occurs, you know, one of the ways that it happens is that there is identified a place of concern or weakness in the individual, which in this case is the fact that we have been lied to, right? The people that followed the flat earth thing, like they were vulnerable because they could feel that there's not the whole truth is being shared with them, that there's more to the story. And so many people around the world feel this right now, like that there's a lot of wool that's been pulled over their eyes and they're right. There has. So, so that place of that need, the feeling of like discomfort that the world is shakier, there's not a grounded foundation like you thought is a very vulnerable place where then a particular idea can campaign can go in and hook into that and say, ah, well, you're wondering what the real truth is. Look at this, you know, and, and it's like with, with just enough kind of like, backing and you look around and all it takes is, you know, some bots seeding a bunch of images on Google, you know, doing a bunch of Photoshopping, doing a few blogs here and there that reinforce if you try to search for a term and there can be created this entire false story. Right. And, you know, we're seeing it, uh, recent, most recently with this, um, oh shoot, what is it called? Thandoria or, uh, do you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, essentially, Essentially, there's a lot of people who think that they, that our entire story of history from even like a hundred years ago is false. Oh yes, and that yes. all of the buildings that were part of these different world expos were actually part of this like advanced civilization that we were made to forget about somehow that like existed like a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, and that hook is just one more like here. Look at this, guys. Focus on this. So that the people that are questioning our history don't actually look at where the truth really is, which is in Atlantis, the structures in Egypt, the structures in Peru, the structures in Bolivia, like the massive, amazing, advanced civilization that did exist in the past. But if you don't look at that and instead you just focus on these fake buildings and whatever, you'll miss the whole point. You miss the picture. So we have to be very vigilant right now. about these kinds of theories. Right. Wow. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I only have 95 more questions for you, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should just do another one. Let's do that. I would love it. Um, Adam, if you have a moment, tell, tell us about what you're passionate about right now and how people can find out more about those projects. Sure. Yeah. So my magnum opus of my life is coming together and blooming right now. And essentially um, what I'm building is a regenerative operating system. Uh, You can think of it as a Iron Man dashboard for 3D social connection at scale on the planet, 
where people can take their digital identity back from the massive centralized corporations, own and control it themselves. They can also pull their data back and own and control it through their own computer. They can develop direct peer-to-peer connections with others around the world so they'll never be throttled. Their networks will never be limited or you know, put through the Wizard of Oz cranker of like, you have to advertise, you have to pay us in order to reach your blah, 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 right? Like we're all dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, but more than a disruption to the social web and to this alternative social network, what we're really doing essentially is creating a mechanism to gamify planetary transformation. And the way that we're doing that is we've enabled people to be able to create digital products. So you can create your courses, you can create your your music albums, you can create your video media, you can create your posts, you can any kind of digital media object. And you can essentially mint it for free as an NFT. So it exists as a non-fungible token, this sort of cryptographically secured object. And every time you sell it, you can create a royalty table inside of it. That royalty table can point to family members of yours. It can point to friends. It can point to people you collaborated with. Like if you had a video guy help you with the course, you can give him a portion of the income. But also every one of these includes one line that is essentially an impact donation. And that impact donation can be 1% or it can be 100% of the income that you would make from, from selling this digital object. And you pick the impact sector of your choice. So let's say you're into cleaning up rivers, you know, you pick water rights, you know, and, and water restoration, you know, or you pick disaster relief, or you pick, you know, social justice, whatever it is. And then every time that course sells or that album sells or whatever, money automatically gets split and goes into this pool for that impact sector. And you earn impact tokens that let you basically see how well you're doing in the change making that's happening in the world, right? And then you can go to this actual planetary ja- dashboard. We call it the ROSE, the Regenerative Operating System Experience. And you're looking at the planet and you can see all of the validated impact projects that have been validated through one of our other systems called Trust Graph and see what's happening all over the world. You can filter it by stuff that's water restoration or disaster recovery or fire mitigation or you know, you know, wind power and solar power projects, whatever you want. And you can see what projects are in that space, where the funding's going, how it's going to them based on their trust graph. You can go into the projects. You can actually see what they're doing, how they're doing it, what their updates are, what's actually happening. So you can then you know sell your music album and it's not like a black box that people's money's going into, that they never get to see what happens with it, which is right. all the time right now. Yeah. Instead, it's creating the real connection between you and the impact project and what's happening and who those people are. And you can also go and literally participate in those impact projects and earn more impact tokens and also money tokens right, for doing that. And we're building these partnerships with all of these different groups, organizing impact projects, organizing land projects that want volunteers or that want people to come down and do work trade or do different kinds of you know trade. And we're essentially creating a system that's going to channel 
more money than has ever been seen on this planet towards actual foundational change and actually supporting the projects that are doing the real work and, you know, essentially transform planet Earth back into a paradise. That is incredible. And I know there are so many more parts to this that are so exciting. Like the tr- you touched on the trust network, but uh, for, from a social media, you know, ch- just completely changing our experience with social media. There's just so much, uh, I mean, so much potential um, for amazing, amazing change. I mean, not the least of which is what you focused on, which is the all the the nonprofit and the the helping to beautify and and get you know more out of our earth, not more out of our earth, but to uh, protect our earth and to help it to reclaim. Um, regeneration essentially exactly. yeah exactly. and and yeah not to say that earth isn't a paradise because it is a paradise still already even and i'll just correct myself there because i noticed that spilled out of my mouth and you know words are words but we know like the intention and the intention is beautiful and it's seeing this planet becoming stewards of this planet in the way that supports all life in a way that supports the ecosystem and supports us in becoming more balanced and more sustainable with the way we operate with, with nature and the, and the physical world. So um, there's a lot of work to do, you know, across both physical and social and mental domains. And, um, and the way we're going to do it is, is by, you know, being that change by doing what's different and being what's different and then helping the masses to actually see it doesn't have to be that hard. Like they can still do their creative like TikTok thing, you know, and and make money, you know, doing it. And at the same time, they can be literally supporting people that are on the ground, like building the community gardens. And that's that doesn't have to be exclusive. It doesn't mean one way is right or wrong. You can give no matter what your gifts are. Oh, that's amazing. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I have just had a blast. This has been thank so you. much fun. I thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, all of, I mean, We hardly even scratched the surface, but um, thank you so much for your time and everything that you're doing, the light that you're shining for being here today. It's really my pleasure and honor. Thank you so much, Kara. Um, if you guys want to learn more about me, you can just go to adamapollo.com or you can Google my name, Adam Apollo. Um, and if you want to learn more about our 3D social operating system dedicated to regenerative impact, uh, you can go to core.network. Um, and that's currently where our, we're running the project under the code name Core Network. And we'll be actually releasing a new site and the new name uh, very soon, which we have trademarked. But we have to do some of this stuff pretty ninja, as you can imagine. Um, I, I do imagine, yeah. <laughs> I'll have all that info in the show notes so that it's super easy for people to get. So Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you for listening. Can you do me a small favor? Go online right now and share this episode with one person who you think will love it. Thank you so much.